let's get right into it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 24, and we'll be reading verses 11 and 12. Can everybody hear me good? Uh, thanks, Tony. If you have, uh, if you need a Bible uh, this morning, just raise your hand. Carde is in the back. He can give you one. So the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. And it reads this, it reads this way. Rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling toward the slaughter. If you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay a person according to his work? Let us pray. Uh, gracious God, thank you, um, God, for this part, Lord, of your service, God, to, for us, Lord, to go uh, into your word together. Lord, as a, as a church, God, we pray, God, that you would be with us, that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, Lord, to receive, Lord, your word. Lord, I pray, God, that you would be able to use a weak vessel such as myself, Lord, to communicate your truth, Lord, to your people. May you be glorified. It is in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1969, uh, in a small town known as Past Christian, uh, Mississippi, a group of people uh, were preparing to have a hurricane party. So I know what you're thinking, like why would they be gathered together to, to have a party during a hurricane, right? If, if we got word that um, Baltimore was about to be hit with a hurricane, I think the last thing we would do would be have, you know, preparing to have a hurricane party. So it makes you think, it makes you think, um, were these people ignorant of the dangers? Uh, could they have been overconfident? Did they let their pride and their egos influence their decision? And we'll never know the answer to these questions. But what we do know is that the wind was howling outside of the luxurious Rich Lou apartments. You see, the Rich Lou apartments were facing the beach less than about 250 feet from the surf, which put the group directly in the line of danger. The police chief at the time, his name was uh, Jerry Peralta, and he pulled up sometime after dark to warn this group of people of the imminent danger um, of the storm. A man uh, from the party with a drink in his hand came out to the second floor balcony, and he waved to the police chief, but the police chief told him, he yelled up to him, he said, you all need to clear out of here as quickly as you can. You know, the storm is getting worse. But others from the party began to join this man on the balcony, and they began to laugh um, and mock uh, the police chief's order to leave. So Peralta, he couldn't, he couldn't um, convince these people um, to leave. So when, when other people came, you know, to, to, join, to join this man on the, um, the balcony, you know, one of them yelled back. He said, this is my land. Um, if, you wanna, if you want me gone, you're going to have to arrest me. So 
Peralti, he kept warning them, you know, about the dangers, and he didn't arrest anyone that night. Um, but what he did do was the next best thing. Names of the of the 20 or so people that were gathered at this party, he started to take the names of their next of kin. And while he was doing this, you know, they continued to laugh and they continued to mock. But he couldn't, you know, he couldn't persuade them to leave, and he, even though he continued to warn them about this danger. So it was about 10:15 p.m. when the front wall of the storm uh, came ashore. The wind speed was clocked by scientists at 205 miles per hour, the strongest on record. Um, raindrops hit with the force of bullets, and waves off the Gulf Coast crested between, between 22 and uh, 28 feet high. News reports later showed that the worst damage came at the little settlement of motels, go-go bars, and gambling houses known as Past Christian, Mississippi, where some 20 people were killed at a hurricane party at the Rich Little Park. Nothing was left of that three-story structure but the foundation. The only survivor was a five-year-old boy found clinging to a mattress the next day. So brothers and sisters, I wonder how many of us are like Chief Jerry Peralta, who he remembered his responsibility. He remembered uh, his duty to warn those people of the danger they were facing. Or do we neglect or do we neglect our duty as Christians to warn sinners of the dangers that they're facing? Looking at our passage this morning, we're called to rescue those being taken off to death. King Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, he says, save those stumbling toward the slaughter. But so many times we're guilty of neglecting this duty, right? And neglect of duty is not excused by ignorance. God knows the truth about the motives of the heart and the excuses for failing to do what is right. Our excuse for neglecting this duty is not because of ignorance. Rather, it is because of unwillingness to help those that are distressed. We're unwilling to help those that are in danger. The book of James, chapter 4, verse 17 says, So it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. Commentator Matthew Poole says, God will certainly deal with us as we have dealt with him, either rewarding our performance of this duty or punishing the neglect of it. So since God knows the, the secrets of the heart and he promises to repay us for neglecting to do good to our neighbor, brothers and sisters, we must respond in obedience to God's call to do good to our neighbor and to rescue those who are in danger. So the question I pose to you this morning, will we, will we keep neglecting this duty or will we respond in obedience to God's call this morning to rescue those in danger? So this morning, we're gonna look at three things we're gonna examine. The first thing we're going to examine is the great danger facing the sinner. The second point of examination we're going to look at the means to rescue the sinner. And our third point of examination is our negligence of this duty. So looking at our first point of examination, God is showing us that the sinner is in great danger. And this great danger is eternal death. I read an article a few months ago back in, back in the summertime. It was about August. 
Um, in, in this article, it described the death of a, a 97-year-old World War II veteran. Um, he was bludgeoned to death during the burglary in his East Baltimore home in the Dolly Park section of, of East Baltimore. Um, his daughter discovered his body lying in a pool of blood uh, in his upstairs bedroom. The victim was still in his pajamas. He lived in this neighborhood for over 60 years. As mere mortals, as, as human beings, right, we're in danger, in great danger of being taken away from this world by death every second of every day. And, and living in Baltimore City, you know, that ma it makes death a very sobering uh, reality. It's a place where hundreds of people lose their lives to violence day after day after day. Brothers and sisters, do we, do we stop to consider just how fleeting life is? The word of God spoken by James in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 14, says that our life is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In Job chapter 7, verse 7, Job refers to his life as a breath. Has anyone, how many of us in here has ever heard of the saying, here one day, gone the next, right? So as a child, you know, growing up, and even like in my teenage years, um, you know, I, I didn't quite fully understand uh, the meaning of that statement. But that old, that old saying became clear to me um, about seven years ago. It was December the 1st, 2010. Um, that day was the day that I lost my dad. Uh, he suffered an aneurysm at work, and he collapsed, and he, he never again gained consciousness. You know, uh, I still remember it like it was yesterday. Um, he died on a Monday, and I saw him that, that Sunday. We were uh, over at my grandmother's house, and, um, you know, we were laughing, joking, playing around. My dad was a, my dad was a jokester. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, my son, he reminds me of him a lot. Um, so um, we, we were there, we were gathered together, and um, you know, we just, you know, just for a brief time, and just, you know, joking, playing around. And um, as he left, you know, he told me he loved me, you know, I told him I loved him. That's what we would always do when we would depart from one another. Um, so the next day, um, I think I was working at Hopkins at the time, and um, I wasn't able to carry my phone up on the nursing floor with me, so I kept it at my desk that day. So after my shift was over, it was about four, about between four, four thirty, and um, I get to my phone, I see all these missed calls, all these voicemails. So I checked the first voicemail, and my mom was uh, on the other end, and she was telling me that you know your dad was, you know your dad just collapsed at work, and he had to rush him to the hospital. So um, by the time me and my mom, you know, I met up with my mom, and by the time we got to the hospital. You know, he was hooked up to the ventilator. He was pretty much, he was pretty much gone. Um, he had no brain activity. So, so um, after conversing with the medical staff, um, you know, we, deci we decided to, to pull the plug. Um, that was probably the toughest decision that me and my mom ever had to make. So because we know, um, you know, how fleeting life is, because we know that you're literally here one day, gone the next. Right? Um, what are we doing with our time? Right? How are we spending our time? So let me be clear about something. I want us to understand this truth. When God created the world, right, death was not a part of his original creation. 
right? The Bible testifies to this very fact in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So we see that our, through our first parents' act of disobedience, right, death spread to us all. That is why everyone in this room will die one day. Right? That is why our loved ones die, because sin is currently in this world. Sin is present in this broken and fallen world. So sin, so sin brought death into the world. Right? And the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, tells us that after this physical death comes judgment. And for those of us this morning who have not come to put their trust in Christ for the salvation of their souls will face eternal death, or what the Bible describes as the second death, right? So eternal death, the second death, they can commonly be referred to as what we know as hell, right? Hell is a real place. It's not some make-believe place. That is where all people will go who reject Jesus Christ, right? Who reject the salvation that he freely provides to us. Ravi Zacharias, uh, he's a Christian um, apologist. He does a lot of work in defending the Christian faith. He explains hell in this way. He says this, hell is not a choice of God. It is the choice of man who wants to reject God. I'm going to read that one more time. He says, hell is not a choice of God. It is the choice of man who wants to reject God. The book of Revelations in chapter 21, verse, verse 8, it says this, but the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Paul, when addressing the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse, in 2 in Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 9, he says this, This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, taking vengeance with flame and fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. This is the danger the sinner is facing this morning. Right? Hell is eternal separation from God, the giver of life and all that is good. Can you imagine being without the presence of God. It says in his presence is fullness of joy. There's a vast difference between the final destination of those who, who know Christ and those who don't know him. Right, we do know this morning that eternity is forever. Correct? Right? Eternity does not end. If you are not a believer in Christ right now, you stand condemned before God and you are subject to this eternal death that the Bible speaks of. Looking at verse 11 of our text, King Solomon, he says, rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling to the slaughter. Do we see the imagery here? Let's imagine, right, you have an inmate, he's on death row, he's awaiting his fate um, to die, 
right, either by lethal injection or by the electric chair. Then let, let's picture you, you have a sheep that's being prepared to, to be led to the slaughter. So in the same way, the sinner is being carried away to death, just as that inmate is awaiting his fate to die, and just as that sheep is preparing to be slaughtered. That's the sinner's fate. And if you notice, in both pictures, right, the inmate and the sheep, they are both powerless to change their course or their fate. They can do nothing to, they can do nothing to stop the death that is about to happen to them. So just how can the sinner change his course? Right? How can we as Christians um, rescue those being taken off to death? I think if we, if we look at society for answers to those questions, um, I think they, will, they probably will tell us, this world will probably tell us, um, you know, maybe cultural transformation, uh, better schools, you know, better neighborhoods, more jobs. I think they will say that all of these things will help us in our efforts to rescue the lost. It, I think they will say that all of these things will help us to, see, uh, um, to rescue you know, those being taken off uh, to death. Brothers and sisters, while these things that I just mentioned, you know, better schools, um, better neighborhoods, all these things, there's nothing wrong with these things. These things are good things, right? But, and they all have their place in society. But these things have never rescued anyone from the death that we are speaking of this morning. Right? These things will not rescue anyone from hell. So, as Christians, we don't have the power within ourselves uh, to save anyone. And in order for us to rescue those headed toward death, we must rely on the power of the gospel. And that is our, that is our second point of examination this morning. The gospel is the means that God has provided for us to do our duty of warning those uh, in danger. So let's, ima let's imagine we, we have a patient, right, and he's been walking around with cancer, and, and he doesn't know it. And the, the, uh, the primary care physician that's treating this patient, uh, he's been aware of the cancer the last few months. And the cancer begins to metastasize. That means spread, okay? Um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy lately. Um, so, so the physician continues you know, to see this patient for uh, routine checkups and follow-ups, but he never discloses the illness to this patient. So on every visit, he noticed the symptoms, right? He sees the, the symptoms getting worse, such as extreme weight loss, fatigue, fever, pain. But instead of providing the proper treatment to his patient, the doctor thought it best just to spend time with him and let him die. So what, what do we think of a doctor like that? He sucks, right? He, that's right. He should be fired, right? Will any one of us want to have a doctor like that for our primary care physician, right? I see you shaking your head, and that's right, I wouldn't even. Um, so, if we have a problem with a doctor like that, we should also have a problem when we neglect to do our duty to warn sinners of the dangers of sin. Not only that, but we fail to give them the cure for their sickness. 
Did Paul not say in Romans 1 and 16 that the gospel is the, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek? When addressing, when addressing Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 15, Paul says that the sacred writings are able to make a person wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, because he knew it contained God's power to rescue those stumbling to the slaughter. Paul never tried to manipulate or use any human wisdom to save people. You know, he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Even though the word of the cross is said to be folly for those who are perishing, right? The word of the cross is only folly to those who are being taken out to death, to those who are stumbling to the slaughter. But although it is folly to some, it is God's power to us who believe, right? It's God's power to save us who believe. The English term gospel, it comes from the Greek word evangelion, I think I'm saying that right, uh, which literally means good news. So what do, what do we think of when you hear good news? What, what do we think of? Hope, right? So in a more, let's say um, like as far as like temple things, what, what, what do we think of when we hear about good news? Anybody? That's right. That's good news for me, too. All right. So, you know, a birth of a child, right, is considered good news. Um, you know, someone getting married, um, someone, winning the, <laughs> someone winning the presidency. I mean, I guess that's good news. Well, it might not be good news right now, right, because of who we have in office. Um, hitting the lottery, right, that's, that's, that, that's good news, right? Um, Where's my wife at? Right there. Good, winning the lottery will be good news for us right now. Right? <laughs> but the gospel, but when the Bible speaks, speaks of the good news or the gospel, it is referring to something of more significance than these temporal things. If we are going to share this good news to rescue the lost, we must know what it is. So let me... Let me start off by telling you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not telling someone you can have a purpose to your life, um, you can have meaning to your life, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. The gospel is not telling someone your own personal testimony. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Um, all those things are, are, are good things, but these things... These things are not the gospel, and they don't address the most serious, the most serious problem uh, that you and I have as human beings. And that problem, R.C. Sproul says, is, sim is simply this. God is holy, and he is just, and we're not. And at the end of our life, we will have to stand before God in judgment based on our righteousness or our lack thereof or based on the righteousness of another person. You see, we don't have any righteousness of our own to stand before God, right? That's, that's, bad, that's bad news. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20 
says, there is certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. We have broken and rebelled against God's holy commands. Right? God's holiness demands that our sins be punished. When we sin, right, there's no such thing as a small sin. Because when we sin, we sin against God. And because God is an eternal being, our sins deserve eternal punishment. So this is, I think we would all agree, this is bad news. But what do we say the gospel means? It means good news. The good news is this. Instead of God condemning us to hell, God in his grace sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to his father. He never sinned even when tempted. He secured a righteousness that we so desperately need. Dying on the cross, he became our substitute. God laid our sins on his shoulder, and in the father's wrath against sin, the father crushed his son. But thanks be to God that the gospel does not end there. Right, we know the story. Three days later, after being crucified to death, he was raised from the dead so that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And this gospel comes with commands. It calls us to believe and repent. And I wonder how many of us this morning have eternal life. Right, how many of us are currently trusting and relying on the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ? This gospel must be preached in every pulpit. For those of us who have been called to be ministers, to handle the word of God, you must preach the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says this, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The preacher is called to preach good news to those taken off to death, to those stumbling to the slaughter. Sharing the gospel is not just a job uh, for the preacher. Right? According to Matthew's uh, chapter 28, you know, the Great Commission, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations. Right? This gospel that we, speak, that we speak of has the power to awaken a spiritually dead sinner. Right? And that, that, that is what every one of us is apart from Christ. Outside of Christ, we're spiritually, spiritually dead. We don't have love for God. We don't have love for his son. But this gospel, can, it changes that. In fact, it is the only thing in this world that has the power to transform a person's evil, unbelieving heart. The Holy Spirit works through the message about Christ being proclaimed. So when we preach it, when we share it, when we witness to people, the Holy Spirit works through, it works through that message. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, right? This is how the transformation takes place. So we, we don't need, you know, we don't need more church programs. We don't need the government to intervene. We don't need better gun laws. We just need the faithful proclamation of the gospel. But, brothers and sisters, we are, we are guilty of, of neglecting our duty. 
When a doctor is negligent in administering the proper care to a patient, right, his negligence can cause great harm. This harm can take many forms, including pain and suffering, um, cost of additional treatment, loss of earning capacity, loss of ability to enjoy life, and even, and even worse, um, physical death. As Christians, when we neglect our duty to share the gospel, we cause great harm to those on our jobs, to those in our families, to those in our neighborhoods who don't know Christ. Looking at verse 12 of our text, Solomon says, If you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay according to his work? Remember, we said that it is counted as a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. Looking at the book of Ezekiel for a minute, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 of the book of Ezekiel. We know Ezekiel was one of God's prophets in the Old, in the Old Testament. He was sent by God, you know, to, to warn people of God's judgment, right, of the danger that they were facing at that time. It says this, chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, in the book of Ezekiel, it says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity. Yet, I will hold you responsible for his blood. Right? God holds us responsible for failing to do what we know is right. As we already stated this morning, the sinner is hidden for hell. Right? The sinner is hidden for eternal death. We know that the sinner's only hope is hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't claim ignorance as an excuse. Right? We have the power of the gospel as the means to rescue the lost. Those of us who currently are trusting in Christ, you have seen the power of the gospel at work in your very own hearts. And because this is true, how then can we neglect to share, to share it with others? Our neglecting of this duty is a lack of love to our neighbor. Or how can we claim to love our neighbor if we withhold good from him? I think the main reason, and it's just my thoughts, I think the main reason we neglect our duty is not out of ignorance, because we know what we are called to do. Right? If you don't know, now you know if you've been listening to me these last right, couple minutes. So you can't, can't claim ignorance any longer. We neglect our duty because of the fear of man. We worry about what people might think or how they may respond um, to the gospel. We fear being reject, rejected. Let me tell you this, there's only two ways um, that, that a person is going to respond to the gospel. Either they will respond in faith and repentance, or they will simply reject it. It's no, it's no third response. They will either believe and repent and turn from their sins, or they will just flat out reject it. God has called us to just faithfully proclaim the gospel. 
right? It's not our power to save. Remember, whose power is it to save? It's God's power to save. It's not our own. We can save no one. There is but one Savior. His name, his name is Jesus Christ. Right? The Bible declares that there is salvation in no one else. For no other name under heaven is given to people whereby we must be, be saved. Jesus even said himself that no one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14 and 6. Not through me, right? not through you, but it is through Christ. This Jesus came to rescue us when we were headed for hell, right? When we were being taken off to death, when we were stumbling to the slaughter, and we didn't even know it, this Jesus came to rescue us. He saw us in our miserable state, and he gave his life for us. He became our substitute so we would no longer be headed for death or stumbling to the slaughter. He loved us, so he showed us by rescuing us. We should no longer neglect our duty um, to, go to go to the lost and, and rescue them through the power of the gospel. Let us show our love for our neighbor and share the good news of Christ. If you are not a Christian this morning, my hope is that you see and that you, you really understand the, um, the great danger that you're in this morning, that you're currently in this morning. Um, I hope you see your need to be rescued from that danger. And I hope that this will cause you to, to run to Christ, to flee to him. Because he, he's mighty to save, right? We, we sung that song this morning. And the one who comes to Christ will not be cast out, right? Trust him. Believe in him. If you are a Christian this morning... I hope you still see your need for Christ. And I hope that you are currently trusting and relying on his finished work on the cross for you. Now I pray that you will be humbled by the fact that he decided to save a wretched sinner such as yourself. And I want to end with, with this, um, this passage of scripture in uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Right? Uh, the Apostle Paul, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. And, and this good news, it never gets old to me. And I pray that it will never get old to you. The gospel is what saves us, and it's what we continue to feed off until we are made perfect, until we are with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven. We continue to feed off this gospel. Now let us pray. Gracious God, thank you, Lord, for this time. Lord, to be uh, before your people. God, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, you've shown us, God, that you are mighty to save. God, I pray, Lord, that you would awaken us, Lord, to our great responsibility, to our great duty as Christians, 
Lord, to share uh, your gospel. Lord, let us trust in its, in its power to save people, to deliver people from the death that we are speaking of this morning. God, I thank you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just continue, Lord, to work through weak vessels such as all of us this morning, Lord, to bring many people uh, to salvation. It is in Christ's name we pray and we ask for these things. Amen.